Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. And I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we're going to be talking about a tough topic today. We're going to be talking about suicide, but something that I think is the really unique book has just come out, and it's on planning a suicide funeral. And this is so important and uh, such interesting information brought together by two fantastic people. So, Heidi, would you like to introduce them? I would, Mom. And I just want to say I have, I have seen a lot of books on planning a funeral. And this, I have never seen a book that is specific to suicide loss. Yeah. So I am super interested today to hear about this. And our guests today are Rabbi Daniel Roberts and Dr. Melinda Moore. Uh, they have co-written a book together called The Suicide Funeral, Honoring Their Memory, Comforting Their Survivors. And the rabbi is an, a rabbi emeritus at Temple Emmanuel L in Cleveland, Ohio. He is a fellow in phantology certified by the Association of Death Educators, ADAC, uh, and he is an Open to Hope author. And um, Dr. Melinda Moore is a psychologist. She is an associate professor at Eastern Kentucky University, and she speaks all over the world on suicide bereavement. She is a suicide bereavement expert and does a lot of research on suicide bereavement. So welcome to the show, Melinda and Dan. One thing that Heidi didn't mention that I think it's important yeah. to bring up, we were talking about earlier, that Dan lost his dad to suicide and uh, that Melinda lost her husband to suicide. So these are people who have gone into this field and dived in deeply to help the world. And they've been there and they understand and they've got some great information. One, th one other little thing I want to say is they actually co-edited the book Right. Uh, the suicide funeral or memorial service honoring memory comforting their survivors so and there's some wonderful authors in this book but let's get right into talking about uh, the biggest challenges what are the biggest challenges for friends family yeah I just sent um, Melinda an, a creative article that I wrote for a class that I was taking on creative writing and in this article I, I asked the question how was I blessed out of my dad's death? And it may sound funny, but I want to remind people that, that Jacob was blessed when he left the, the Jabbok River and um, his whole life changed. And so I would say to people who are listening to us, just to start off, that as devastating as suicide is and the loss of somebody, you have to look for the blessings. And in my particular case, my blessing was I see no way that I ever would have ended up in the rabbinate, no way that I would have ever touched as many people as I did in my 50 years in the rabbinate, and no way would I have had the, the life, which I found to be very meaningful, that I ever would have had if my dad had lived. Mm -hmm. So people who have had a loss have to begin to ask what blessings come out of it. 
Yeah, so this is the thing. It's not intuitive. It's not, it's not initially apparent that there are blessings. And I would have to say that losing my husband, it's now been 25 years when I lost my husband to suicide. I was working as a public health speechwriter and I did a lot of policy work and we weren't talking about suicide at the time in public health. And so this changed my life, the loss of my husband, uh, both professionally and personally. And I will I'll have to say it was the most painful physically as well as emotional event of my life. But one of the things that I realized um, after his death, it took me a little while to kind of get my sea legs, but I realized that I was being changed in a very profound way. Now, there were a lot of bad things that were happening. People did not want to talk to me. They didn't want to interact with me. There was something about that loss. Somehow I shared in the taint of his suicide, but I also knew that I had changed in profound and good ways. And so this actually led me many years later when I got my PhD in clinical psychology later, decided to go back to school and work in clinical suicidology. I also began doing something called post-traumatic growth research. And post-traumatic growth basically asked the question, we know traumatic experiences are awful, but what else is true? And what I've learned through my own experience and then having done research now for a number of years in this area is that there are many blessings in this experience, although it's not, it's not apparent or obvious at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's an important point, Melinda. At the beginning, sometimes when you talk about blessings or gifts, people get their back up. They get upset by it because they feel like it's, it's mm-hmm. not validating and it's minimizing their experience. But I love that you and the rabbi are both saying that, you know, despite the fact that we lost loved ones that we were very close to by suicide, we have grown in profound ways and it did not destroy our entire life. Mm-hmm. Because so many people out there are in the midst of trying to grieve and cope with early suicide loss. And right now they're feeling like they're never going to have hope again. And you two are examples that they will. Why should I have a funeral or a memorial? And, and what does it do for me if I've had a, a suicide? Well, it, it, it starts to bring order out of chaos. Funerals are, are exceptionally important. The ritual of... of marking one point, you know, that this is the death of a person, bringing reality that the person has died, that your mind cannot play tricks on you, that they haven't died. Um, And one of the essentials is, and I believe, um, and Melinda too, that clergy and, and mental health workers are first responders, that they're there to help if you think of it suddenly, the, the chaotic world of learning that somebody has died, you're starting from square one, you didn't have a chance to say goodbye, what did I do wrong, how could I have prevented it, and now the clergy can help a person to make hope in their life. One is that we're going to bring a finality to that life. Second, we're going to honor the person, even though they died by suicide, but they still had a life. Um, And then the clergy hopefully will keep following up with these people to bring some kind of order into their chaotic world. Mm -hmm. So Melinda, what about you? What's your thought about the memorial or um, funeral? Why is it important? And what oh, it's so important to, to mark the person's life. No, no question. But ritual is so important. But I would think, I think after a suicide death, it's, it's, it's particularly important because what it does is it establishes a precedent. And this is why faith leaders are in such powerful positions 
for influencing how people are, go are going to talk about the decedent, but then also how they're going to respond to the family. They, they are the ones that are really teaching everybody how to think about this loss. And because this has been such a highly stigmatized cause of death, you know, for many, many years, and we know this, you know, Vatican II changed it in the mid-60s. So the Vatican II changed uh, the way the Catholic Church uh, thought about burying people in, in graveyards. For many, many, I mean, hundreds of years, uh, people who died by suicide uh, were not permitted to be buried within a, a, a church graveyard. They had to be buried uh -huh. in of it. So the idea is that these were people that were, you know, doomed for the for the rest of eternity because of what they had done and so in the mid-60s vatican ii changed the way the catholic church thought about burying people and treating people who had died by suicide and then other denominations have also changed policy over the years as well so that's good but the problem is is that we're not really practicing according to church policy a lot of clergy really because they've not been trained, if they went to seminary, they weren't trained in seminary because seminary doesn't even touch the topic of suicide. But oftentimes they bring their own life experiences and their own dogma to this topic. And so they oftentimes just kind of follow their own thinking. And that gets really dangerous at the funeral service because they're not really preaching uh, about what the scripture says about suicide or doesn't say about suicide or really what policy has is now reflecting about suicide. And that's why the funeral is so important because clergy can really establish sort of what is the correct way of talking about this cause of death and then how do we treat those individuals who are most impacted? As a matter of fact, one of the suggestions to clergy is if you're going to do the funeral, leave your theology at the door because that isn't what people need. People need to have a sense that they were not responsible for the death, they could. There was nothing that they probably could have done to um, prevent it, and that they have to pick themselves up and move on from here without the sense of guilt. Right, and, and and I've also heard people say that not know what to do when someone says that this is a sin. How to How would you respond to somebody that would say suicide is a sin? I want to respond to that because yeah. I am a great believer that the threat of sin, the threat of not getting into heaven or not being buried was really preventative. People, you know, who think about taking their life, if they thought about, oh, it's a sin and, and my, my family's going to, or I'm going to go to hell or whatever, they might not do it. And so I am a great believer that much of the, um, the myth around suicide had to do with the fact that they wanted to to prevent people from killing themselves. And once it is done, we have to, and that's very interesting, and within Judaism there are, uh, although rules of, against suicide, but they find every way possible not to declare a suicide. Mm -hmm. And they jump a thousand hoops. You have to tell, you have to tell people, you have to enact it before people, and they have to warn you and so forth. So the basic idea and, and that we have to do is that this is a human being right. with emotions, have you know, wonderful life and... Now let's stop there. I, I, I really, both of you, they had a wonderful life. You know, talk about that more. How do you, in a eulogy, talk about their life? The answer which I give, this is a second in life. You don't define a book 
by the last chapter. You don't define a book by one sentence in the book. This is, you know, obviously they had um, trauma, whatever it is, their, their life was dark. All they could see is that they were in you know, pain and the only way out of it is by killing themselves. Yeah, my thinking around this is, is that the study of suicide, while suicidology is about 50 years old, the good science around how to understand, how to conceptualize, how to assess for, how to treat is really new. It's only about 20 years old. So the science around suicide is new. And so how do we think about it? You know, those of us who are clinicians or scientists or informed, you know, we have this information, but the translation either into clinical practice or into sort of popular culture we're, we're, we're doing that now. And so I think, I think we have to also give it some time and just say, we, we've just come to some understanding about how to think about this cause of death. And we know that there are many roads to Rome. You know, for a long time, there was this stat that was perpetuated that something like 90% of everybody who dies by suicide has a mental illness. Well, we know from some data from the CDC, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, that actually over 50% of people who have died by suicide don't have a diagnosable mental illness. We know there are lots of people who are not depressed, don't have bipolar, who still kill themselves every year. So it's a behavior that we really have to think about when we think about, um, you, know, per, you know, how do we think about the individual? It's not, a, it's not a moral crisis. It's not a failing of the individual. It's a behavior that they engage in that unfortunately ends their life, and that becomes the last chapter, but that's, as Rabbi Dan said, that's not how we define that individual. Well, and I think that's important for families out there that are grieving. I think that's comforting to know that. And you both know, because you know family members, your husband, Melinda, and your father, Dan, you know that every second of every moment of their day was not dark. It's like we are complicated individuals. You know, there's positive memories and there's positive times and there's negative times in, in all of our lives. My question is, why? What do you do at the funeral w with the memorial? What do you do with why? There are, there are people who have business failures. There are people who have um, illness, you know, and they um, look at, the, you know, the greatest number of people who die are, are older men. Right. Um, Living you know, alone, and, right. And, and they don't necessarily have mental illness. It becomes a, you know, a snap judgment sometimes. Um, it's, you know, nothing that percolated for a long time. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the world kind of closes in. I use the analogy of tunnel vision. They don't see the alternatives uh, with it. Well, Melinda, you lost a young husband. Why? Yeah, so I was newly married. We were, he actually died uh, on the, uh, to the very day, eight months after we were married. And it took me a long time to figure out what had happened to him. He had been a, a trauma survivor. He was a, he'd been sexually abused as a child. And this is something we don't talk about, you know, uh, with young, with men in particular. And, but that was something that I did not know. He was not American. He was Irish. And he came to this country, um, to get his PhD in chemistry. He was a brilliant young man, but he came to this country with a lot of problems. And I think probably um, those just were overwhelming. And, you know, men are not great help seekers sometimes. That's why, you know, the military has spent so much money on trying to get military service members to seek help because they oftentimes don't want to ask for help. It's, it's very embarrassing. And also there's that appearance of being weak. And I think 
what was happening with him. He just couldn't ask for help and he couldn't tell me the truth. You have to ask what's going on in society too. Yeah, well, that, yeah, talk to about the morality that. of society of, of, of the, um, the texting rather than personal, you know, we're, we're losing the we and, and, the, and being with each other and supporting each other. So that's, you know, we're, we're seeing an uptick, a big uptick, unfortunately, in suicide. But much of it has to do beyond our personal, but it has to do with what's going on in society. And we need to take a look at the societal norms right now and how um, everything is becoming the I. And well, let me ask you both. Uh, here I am. I'm watching this and planning a suicide funeral. Um, I didn't have a funeral. It's been a while. Can I plan one now? Uh, uh, the memorial service is always appropriate. Uh, um, uh, in fact, you know, within Judaism, we have uh, a, a stone setting a year later, you know, so, and with COVID, it's even worse now because, um, you can't attend, some can, but to have a memorial service later on where people come together and remember, and remembering is a, a vital part of how we cope with and how we have resilience. And the reality is you never forget a person. You never get over mourning. All you learn to do is to go around it and to deal with it. And that's the beautiful part of human beings. Um, the beautiful part is that we have resilience and God gave us that ability and we're going to make it somehow. But life is not over when somebody else takes their life. I, I love the fact and idea that you can do it, you know, later, a year later, you could do it five years later, 10 years later. And one thing about, we were talking about social media. One beautiful thing about social media is my son was killed in 1983. And along with social media has come people talking about his birthday, talking about him on his birthdays, uh, making videos, all sorts of things have happened from those many years ago. So and you uh, find that important, don't you? Yes, I do. That he's still remembered and still yeah. talked about. There it is. Yeah, there it is right there. Well, listen, I think you've got a great book here. And I hope, uh, it, I know it's going to be very helpful to people who want to plan uh, a suicide funeral. But also, um, for our audience, if it's not too late to plan a memorial, memorial service, yeah. oh, um, which you probably call it more that if it's been a year or two, but do it and get this book because... They're just wonderful thoughts and ideas and give it to your clergy. How about you, Melinda? Do you have a, a, some, a page or that you'd like people to come to? Yeah, I mean, I think for people who are interested in the intersection of faith and suicide prevention, I would encourage them. I'm the co-lead of the National Action Alliance's Faith Community Task Force. So faithhopelife.org um, is a great website. Also my own, um, my own posttraumaticgrowth.com and org are also great websites as well. Great. And where can people get your book, Dan? I'll bet it, uh, well, one is Wiffenstock, who was the publisher, but uh, at the great God, Amazon. I'm, I know it's there, too. <laughs> the great God, Amazon. <laughs> and I've got to say, Mom, if you do want to find Rabbi Daniel Roberts, you can find him on the internet, because I Googled him, and I found him, and he's very funny. And there's, there's <laughs> him standing on stage talking about his blue tie. So Google him, and you'll find out what he said about it. And <laughs> And get the book, The Suicide Funeral or Memorial Service, 
honoring their memory, comforting their survivors. Thank you so much, Melinda and Dan, for being on this show. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you for asking us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. I love everything you've said about post-traumatic growth and the positive message that is out there for all of those that are trying to find hope again after suicide loss. So thank you. We want to thank everybody for joining us today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.